This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey there, you want to talk about politics? Wait, wait, don't leave. I'm just kidding. And this is kind of a one-way conversation anyway. You know, you can start to feel it when a conversation with somebody, whether they're a friend or a loved one or a stranger, starts to get political. It's like a shivering wind that signals a nasty storm is coming. I get a sinking feeling in my gut. It's a vibe shift. And it's the worst at family gatherings. You're looking at your uncle wondering, where is he going with this? Is he about to say something crazy? Crap, he's starting to get mad. Oh no, I'm starting to get mad. From the halls of Congress to the family dinner table, it seems like everything today is a political battlefield. It could spell disaster for a functioning democracy. Hi, I'm Malachi Barrett. And I'm Emily Lawler. We're reporters who spend a lot of time thinking and talking about politics. And it seems like nobody here is having a good time. The problem is polarization, which, for our purposes, means the division between Republicans and Democrats. That division is getting wider. And the irony is, for good policy, it's often mandatory for both sides of an issue to work together. Here's the big picture. Polarization isn't just ruining your Thanksgiving dinners or making social media into a minefield. It's also making government worse at its job. You know, fixing things, solving problems, looking out for us. Malachi and I embarked on a months-long reporting project about whether bipartisanship is dead. It's available to read right now on MLive.com. Stick with us as we explore how bad the situation is, how we got here, and what we can do about it. But first, a quick vibe check. Here's how some of our representatives from Michigan described their concerns about polarization. Uh, pretty toxic. It's, uh, it's really pretty bad. If we're just spinning in circles... It's even if it means we're staying in the same place, we're falling behind. I believe it's one of the greatest threats to our country. If you want to be the greatest country in the world, and we've held that status for many, many years, you cannot maintain it if you can't get along with yourself. I see the the polarization as like a national security threat. I think that that if we can't, if we're so polarized that we can't govern, we reinforce this idea that democracy doesn't work, right? That, that like it doesn't matter who's in power because there's gridlock. You know, people start to believe like their government can't deliver for them and they, they internalize that. That is terrible for the, the country that really invented democracy and serves as an example around the world. I've been doing a lot of reading and there are historians that say it's as bad as it was before the Civil War, if not worse. And I think we have to be deliberate. We also talked to researchers and policy experts who agreed that polarization has never been worse. My research is mainly about social networks, so how groups of people collaborate with each other, come together to solve problems, or, you know, in the case of polarization, don't come together. That's Zachary Neal, a professor of psychology at Michigan State University. He looked back at decades of bills introduced in Congress 
and tracked how many of those bills were being worked on by lawmakers from both parties. The plan was to see how Republicans and Democrats collaborate. Neil used a lot of complicated math to draw patterns, and he found a startling trend. The pattern is very strong polarization that has gotten substantially more intense pretty much every year since I've started looking at it starting in the late 70s. And for the most part, every year has gotten a little bit more polarized than the last year. Every year is getting worse? Yes. He found bipartisan partnerships in Congress became less common as time went on. Let's hear it from Professor Neal. This increase in polarization has been fairly steady. If there was sort of a a break point where it really started to ramp up, it would have been sort of in the mid-90s. With the, the Newt Gingrich Congress, the, it sometimes gets called the Republican Revolution, is where we started, uh, you know, polarization had been growing up to that point, but it really took off there. I'm always trying to find sort of a, a silver lining because it, it can be a little depressing to see how intense this polarization is getting and, and it just keeps growing. Certainly with the levels of polarization I'm seeing in my own research, it's at least difficult to imagine it getting any more extreme. Yikes. So it sounds like we've hit rock bottom. Full disclosure, I'm a child of the 90s, so this has felt like the status quo in my lifetime. And because I'm a millennial, I want to find somebody to blame here. Is one party more at fault? A child of the 90s? Who let you on this show? In terms of blame, not really, at least based on this research. Neil found that Republicans became more conservative faster than Democrats became more liberal. But polarization is driven by a lack of collaboration in both directions. Also, there's not a single cause. There's a lot of things going on. The way we set up elections, the impact of social media and the news media, how lawmakers build relationships, and our culture at large. Let's start with elections. This is a weird term, but you've probably heard of gerrymandering. In case you haven't, it describes the dark art of manipulating political districts to advantage one party. If you're trying to gerrymander, what you want to do is draw the boundaries around places where your supporters live and split up opposition voters. Rigged maps make elections less competitive and the public loses. Michigan's political maps used to be approved by the legislature. So every 10 years, whichever party was in charge had the opportunity to put their thumb on the scale. That led to some problematic maps and voters decided they had enough in 2018, voting to give the power over to an independent redistricting commission. That's a big deal. When political maps benefit one party, it creates a situation where seats are pretty much a lock for that side. It puts a lot of importance on primary races because whoever the nominee is, they're likely to win the race outright. It also pushes parties more toward the extremes because a moderate candidate can get taken out by a challenger who appeals to the hardcore part of the base. So gerrymandering can land us with more polarized lawmakers. It's not impossible for a moderate to sneak by, though. Michigan Congresswoman Alyssa Slatkin is a Democrat, but she was elected to a traditionally Republican voting district in 2018 and then re-elected again in 2020. I certainly knew that Congress was an ailing organization, an ailing body when I ran for Congress, right? I didn't think it was all sunshine and rainbows. I think when I got in, I realized some of the depths of the problem, including with partisanship. And for me, a lot of that stemmed from the fact that most of my peers, I felt like on both sides of the aisle, were from like either hardcore Democratic districts or hardcore Republican districts and sort of had no 
interest or appetite to see things from the other perspective because that's not what their constituents were expecting of them. You arrive in Congress, there's 435 members, and suddenly you realize, you know, 380 of them are from really deep blue or deep red districts. Slotkin is among a handful of Michigan lawmakers who are part of a bipartisan problem solvers caucus. Think of it like a club where members agree to work across the aisle and put party affiliation to the side when they can. Another member of the Problem Solvers Caucus? Another Michigander, Republican Congressman Peter Meyer, who was first elected in 2020. You know, I grew up watching The Daily Show and seeing John Stewart play clips of, uh, you know, a, a member of Congress passionately debating the, you know, four-year-ago version of themselves because they're arguing opposite sides of an issue, but just taking one position when the leader was of their party and taking the other when, when they weren't. To me, that type of hypocrisy is why the electorate distrust politicians. It's why it feels like they are being told, you know, whatever they want to hear rather than folks speaking the truth, speaking plainly and speaking honestly. Because the easiest thing to do is just whatever your vote is, make sure you're in the majority of your party and you are fine. You are safe. There is safety in those numbers and in that kind of following the herd mentality. And that's not to say that I'm not in though that majority on plenty of votes, but being able to defend when I'm there and being able to also defend when I'm not, I, I think is frankly important. And there's no better kind of opportunity than to get out of the groupthink of your own party and debate on the merits standards like that with colleagues. Slotkin and Meyer said polarization results in a lot of junk legislation. It's more aimed at scoring political points than solving an issue. You get here and you're like, oh, holy moly. So much of what these people are doing is just for show. It's just for the press release. It's just for the press conference. And they actually don't care if it goes through committee or goes through the House or goes through the Senate, it becomes law. But if you're someone who comes from a district that really believes like that you have to get things done, it's a different way to build your legislation from the ground up. And it's just not as common as you would think. And, and I will say not even just not caring if it passes, but sometimes hoping it doesn't pass because you don't want to own the consequences that haven't been well thought out. It's, I think, something that's very challenging for the public to really be able to distinguish between what legislation is, is serious and is going to go through the committee process, has been well thought out, well reviewed, consulted with outside experts, you know, in a very strong and deliberate fashion. And what are the things that you whip together very quickly? you know, put a stamp on it, drop it in the helper and say, look at this bill I just introduced, right? Now, the one that was put together very quickly and meant to be messaging and meant to, you know, be whatever it is you think the folks are going to love, but has no bearing on reality or ability to pass into law, that legislation folks are going to love simply because it is simple and unrealistic. The one that actually has a chance of changing things for the better is always going to involve trade-offs. It's never going to be perfect. It's going to be the half loaf. And you know, you wind up being the, the perennial disappointer. Well, how come you're not fulfilling the wildest dreams and expectations when your goal is so that it can actually make things better so you can move the ball forward. And admittedly, that will be largely incremental, but that incremental improvement is an improvement nonetheless. That brings us to an elephant in the room, social media. Dun, dun, dun. A lot of folks we talk to bring this up. Yeah, and I think everyone has experience with toxicity online, right? Congresswoman Debbie Dingell called social media one of the worst things to happen to the country. She feels it puts people in information bubbles and incentivizes partisan attacks with likes and retweets. Social media is key. It's not just, again, Congress is representative of what's happening in the country. You know, relationships really matter. If you know somebody 
you know, if your kids go to school where you've been, uh, you know, at a potluck dinner party on a Friday night, or you've gone to church together, or your kids have gone to school together, if you've had life experiences, you build that trust. You learn that. And what, what's happening across the country, social media is keeping people from developing relationships. So we've talked a lot about what's going on nationally, but let's narrow down on Michigan, where hopefully people can have a bit more impact. Our friend John Lindstrom has pretty much seen it all during his career covering the Michigan legislature. He started reporting from the Capitol in 1977, and he retired as a publisher of Gogra News Service in 2019. John told us he's watched relationships between lawmakers decay over time. He remembers when lawmakers would be called into Lansing for a brief session on Mondays and stay overnight, hobnobbing at local watering holes. Now, most buzz into town Tuesday through Thursday and drive home every night. When they're here late, members of opposite parties don't get together like they used to. Nobody's asking for lawmakers to make deals in smoky back rooms. But Lidstrom says the lack of interaction has made it harder for elected officials to trust each other. Everybody knew in fact, not just in concept, about everybody else and the shared humanity that everybody had. And that's something that you don't see now. We have changed the nature of politics so dramatically and intentionally changed it so that there is no willingness to see the other person's point of view. You can get to know the other person. Unfortunately, we can't just put lawmakers in a room and tell them to be friends. But part of what's changed the culture in Lansing is Michigan's term limits law. We have the strictest term limits in the country, and it might be time to rethink that. Michigan voters passed a ballot proposal in 1992 setting a cap on how long state lawmakers could stay in office. Two terms for senators and three terms for representatives. The idea was to prevent career politicians, but it also created a bunch of negative consequences. Short term limits means lawmakers don't have much time to learn how to do their jobs well, let alone build relationships. Politicians often don't leave politics after hitting their term limit anyway. Many go on to become lobbyists or consultants that have a lot of influence over rookie lawmakers. Asking voters to end term limits outright is probably a tough sell. But other states like Arkansas and California modified their rules to extend the amount of time lawmakers can spend in office. That's just one solution we heard about. The big question we had for everyone we talked with was, how do we fix this? Former Governor Rick Snyder, the tough nerd himself, was worrying about that question too. Toward the end of his time in office, Snyder saw storm clouds on the horizon, and he started warning people about the rise of a more combative form of politics. We have some serious threats in terms of other countries and issues with nuclear weapons. We have COVID and everything else. But ultimately, you come back to us ourselves and say, if we can't get along, how do you expect us to continue to provide the best outcomes for our citizens of today and for the children of the future? And so I think it's, a, it's among the most important topics we should have on the table. No one we talked to was able to identify an easy antidote to the feverish partisanship the country is experiencing. We can point to a few obvious fixes, like getting rid of gerrymandering to make elections more competitive, expanding term limits, holding elected officials accountable when it's time to vote, and restoring confidence in elections. Promoting civility and bipartisanship is everybody's job every day. Maybe that means taking a break from social media or cutting ties with a news source that emphasizes emotion over facts. Here's some advice from Slatkin. What I tell people at this point is I think they should go on a media diet. 
I, I didn't used to say this, but I believe it. Like shut off the media that you are playing 24 seven in the background because it's seeping into all of us in, in an unhelpful way. So take a break, go on a diet. And then honestly, I tell people to go do some community service on something that has nothing to do with politics. You want to rescue dogs, go rescue dogs. You want to work on feeding the homeless, go feed the homeless, but go meet new people and see them as human beings again in a way that has nothing to do with politics. Because the trust deficit is so intense right now that like you can't meet someone new and start talking about politics, right? That's not, that's not a happy place right now. Go meet someone because you care about rescuing dogs, build a relationship, and then you're able to have a more open conversation. But you need to see that strangers as human beings, first and foremost, if you want to bring back civility. Wait a second. We are the media. What made you want to explore this issue, Emily? You know, I've been covering politics in Michigan for a decade now, and it does seem like it's gotten more vitriolic. And the attacks between lawmakers have gotten harsher, and there is just less collaboration than I guess I've seen earlier on in my career. And it was validating talking to sources who had seen sort of the same thing. But, you know, I think that also one of the big things about the current political climate is there's just kind of a lack of bipartisan wins. You know, compromise looks like a dirty word probably too often. And, you know, as we were reporting this out, I just remember how many people told us, well, they got the budget done together, you know, obviously Whitmer being a Democrat and the Republican-led legislature. And it's like, that's like the bare constitutional minimum. I mean, that's literally required of them. So the fact that the the bare minimum sort of is the best thing that people can point to right now, I think speaks volumes. And that's why I wanted to explore it. Yeah. And it's like, you know, there's so much noise on the outside too. I think that's a big part of what we wanted to look at is like, even though there are things that people could point to, you know, it, it's not what we're spending a lot of our times thinking about or, or being, you know, being put in front of us when we are on social media, we are trying to engage politically. So it just seems like a lot of the conversation that we have in this country has like really gone off the rails in terms of like, how does our government function? Are they doing what they're supposed to be doing? You know, are, are things working? I think most people have a, a pretty good feeling that like, no, things aren't like working very well right now. Yeah, that does feel important and sort of reflective of our dinner table conversations, right? Like it's broken all the way down the chain. And I think the series kind of gets at that. So we're exploring it in a series of articles on MLive this week, but it's also something we'll be coming back to throughout the election years. We move toward reelecting our congressional delegation, state lawmakers, governor, secretary of state, attorney general. It is a big ballot year. So what was the main thing that, that you took away from our reporting on this and all the conversations that we had over the last couple of months while putting this project together? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a willingness to, to work on this. I think the incentives are pushing people in the wrong direction right now. Uh, it's a lot easier to look across the aisle and say, maybe my opponent won't be here uh, two years from now <laughs> since our cycles are, are so short than to actually go across the aisle, shake hands and work with that person. But we do see people doing it. We've talked to some people who are doing it. And I think that that's an important, an important thing to note is that, you know, people aren't necessarily dividing into these camps because, you know, they hate the other side or they're bad people or they have no willingness to understand. But our, our political system is pushing them into camps and we're pushing ourselves into camps culturally. And I think that that's something we can all work on. Yeah, I mean, on, on the one hand, we're not necessarily in a unique situation when it comes to Republicans and Democrats not getting along with each other, right? Like that's that's a feature, not a bug of the, <laughs> the political system. Right. On the other hand, we are dealing with some 
you know, what a lot of folks have kind of characterized as like existential threats to democracy and the way that we run things in the United States because of the attacks on the election. And that's something that's like really stood out to me as we were doing this too, is like, you know, aside from the policy debates where there's room for more bipartisan collaboration on fixing roads or repairing bridges or improving healthcare and all these things that are kind of the general debates that we expect people to be talking about, you know, now there's this shadow over, does my vote count? You know, can we trust the electoral process? And, you know, there's been a lot of attacks on, on that institution. And it's a concerning thing, you know, when you have a significant number of the country who doesn't feel that they're you know, their access to the ballot is maintained, you know, either because they don't trust results and how we conduct elections or they fear attacks on their right to vote. And so this is something that we're really going to have to grapple with. I mean, this is a conversation that's only just getting started now. But I mean, that's a really important element of this, too, is putting the policy aside. There's a real urgency to address some of these concerns about attacks on the election system and election integrity. Yeah, and it's become such a baseline. I think one of the questions that we asked a few folks we talked with is how do you negotiate something like infrastructure when some of the people who are negotiating don't even believe that the guy signing the bill at the end of the day is the real president? And I think that is sort of an underpinning that gets lost when we're talking about some of these policy goals is that there's a broader issue with our, our system of government or maybe the perception of a broader issue or a broader disagreement that's undermining some of our traditional government systems. I think a lot of that comes back to just this this bad incentive system that we have that we've kind of alluded to a few times now. There's a political benefit to say things even if you don't necessarily believe it at the end of the day. And that's that's a bigger thing we're going to have to deal with. I mean, the impact of social media, the problems with people being filtered into these kind of bubbles where they're not provided the full picture of what's happening or they're being provided a very inaccurate picture of what's happening. You know, that goes beyond Congress. That's like a larger societal problem. And it goes down to personal relationships. I feel like a lot of what we heard from people too is like, people are, are human beings at the end of the day. Like we are talking about relationships between human beings and why are our relationships not, <laughs> not very healthy, right? That goes beyond politics. But I think part of it is, you know, in your social circle, you probably have more people that are like you than people that are not like you, right? I mean, we all kind of hang out with people that generally agree with us or they, you know, they look like us, they act like us, they share interests. I'm not saying that's bad, but it also, it's part of this thing where you're not being exposed to people who are different than you. You're not being exposed to political ideas that are different. And maybe when you are, you're kind of like gearing up for the gladiatorial battle, right? Like, okay, now it's time to, to vanquish this person in the arena of, of ideas or whatever. <laughs> Instead of just like, hey, I'm a guy, you know, you're a person too. Like, Maybe we're neighbors, maybe we volunteer, maybe we have something else in common that, that ties us together. So I think, you know, a lot of people like their main political involvement is scrolling Twitter. They're not necessarily engaged with a campaign. They're not out, you know, in their community volunteering. They're, they're not, you know, the participation in society, in, in civics is, you know, it's, it's not happening online. It's happening in the real world. So a lot of folks that we talked to were also just stressing like, you know, it's a cliche, but like go out and touch grass, you know, like <laughs> go out, go out and like interact with people on a, on a human basis. Yeah. Someone responded to one of my tweets about this story and said that, you know, one of the best things you can do is just go out and talk to your neighbors. And I think there's some truth to that. So all of this is like really big and weighty. And this, this subject is not going to be tackled in one podcast or in 
you know, a series of stories that we have. But we would recommend that you go and, and dig a little bit more into some of the reporting we've done. These these articles are all on MLive.com. We, we explore it from a couple of different angles. But we're also going to be talking about this a lot throughout the election year as we move forward to reelecting or maybe replacing our congressional delegation. State lawmakers are, are also up for re-election. We've got a big governor's race, secretary of state, attorney general. You know, th- this is going to be kind of dominating the discourse for the year. And, you know, hey, maybe after all this, you do want to talk uh, about politics with us. We would love to open a dialogue. Tell us about how you think we can fix polarization or share a story about how it's affecting your life. Do you have a politically divided family, maybe, in our purple state? Do you know a Republican and Democrat who get along really well? Is there bipartisan bliss in your town? Or hey, maybe you think we're better off divided. Give us a call. Leave us a message. We won't answer. No, I mean, we'll answer your message. I'm saying you don't have to talk to a real human when you dial this number. And the number is 616-222-1022. Again, that's 616-222-1022. We're going to be telling a lot of stories about Michigan's political fault lines leading up to the election this year, and we would love to tell yours, too. In the meantime, cut your uncle some slack. This is a politically divided time in our state and our country, and all we can do is keep those lines of conversation open. So we're going to keep our line open. Give us a call, 616-222-1022. Thanks for listening.